0: Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. This will be the conclusion to our study of 1 Kings. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter 22 and the last part of that chapter, which is the end of the book, the end of 1 Kings. And so I'll have more to say about that at the end of this study. Um, But for now, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 29. It says, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Now we need to pause right there and remind ourselves what has just been happening. In the first part of chapter 22, the king of Israel, and that's Ahab, wanted to go and take Ramoth Gilead from Syria. And he asked the king of Judah, that's Jehoshaphat, if he would go up with him. And the king of Judah said he would, but he also said, is there a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of the Lord by? And so there, you might remember, there was a, there were 400 prophets around the king of Israel who were saying, essentially, go up and take Ramoth Gilead. And Jehoshaphat said, "Is there another prophet we can inquire of?" And they called Micaiah. And Ahab didn't like Micaiah. Ahab didn't like the kinds of things that Micaiah tended to prophesy about him. And in fact, Micaiah. Uh, prophesied essentially the downfall of Ahab in battle at Ramoth Gilead and even said that the Lord had sent a spirit, a lying spirit, uh, into the mouths of the other prophets that Ahab was surrounded by so that Ahab would go to Ramoth Gilead and fall there. And so Micaiah said though, that uh in his vision that he saw right that the army of israel was scattered like sheep without a shepherd and ahab being the king would be the shepherd and so if the army is scattered like sheep without a shepherd that probably means the shepherd has fallen or been captured or something of the sort and so what happens is ahab refuses to listen to micaiah in fact he has micaiah locked up in jail until he comes back from this battle at Ramoth-Gilead in peace. And Micaiah says, well, if you come back in peace, then I'm no prophet of the Lord. And so Micaiah has prophesied Ahab's destruction, but Ahab has refused to listen to Micaiah, who is a genuine prophet of the Lord, whereas the others, the other prophets uh, that Ahab was surrounded by were lying. Um... He refuses to listen to Micaiah, the true prophet of the Lord, and he goes to battle at Ramoth-Gilead anyway, despite what he had been told and despite the warning he had received through Micaiah. All right, so what happens next? Verse 30, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is truly the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot, and about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city, and every man to his country. So Ahab goes into battle, but he doesn't want the Syrians to know that it's him. So he disguises, evidently that would be his reason, right? And so he disguises himself and he goes into battle. Now the commander of the Syrian army, right, or the king of Syria had told the 32 chariot um, captains of the 32 chariots, they had told them to fight only with the king of Israel. And so that was part of their strategy. And so they were searching for the king of Israel to fight with him. He wasn't dressed like a king, so they didn't see him. They saw Jehoshaphat, who was still dressed like a king, so they pursued him for a time until they realized he wasn't the king of Israel. But there was a guy who shot an arrow, and the arrow hit King Ahab in between his armor and that wound ended up being a fatal one. It wasn't somebody who thought he was shooting at the king, right? Just somebody shot the our, this English translation says at random. I have a footnote here that says the the Hebrew was in his it says in his innocence. In other words, he wasn't trying to kill the king. He didn't know he was shooting at the king. And so Ahab receives this wound, which ends up being a mortal wound. He's taken away from the battle. He sits in his chariot, propped up in his chariot, facing the battle. And uh, the blood from the wound runs into the chariot. And at the end, when it says, A cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. Since we're told that after, we're told that the king died. And um, because of what we know about Micaiah's prophecy earlier, this probably means everybody, the, the, they recognize the battle is over, the king is dead, everybody go home. This is not regroup and camp out, we'll continue the battle tomorrow. This is we quit, everybody go back home. And so Ahab died. Verse 37 says, So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. So Micaiah didn't say in so many words, right, that Ahab would die, but that was the gist of his prophecy. And if we're right to take that as the gist of his prophecy, right, that the king would die, then that has happened. Um, And then they, so they take him to Samaria and uh, it says in verse 38, And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken." Now that's significant, right? Because again, what Micaiah seemed to be hinting at has taken place that Ahab would fall, which he, he did say that, and that Ahab would die, which um, is at least hinted at in the prophecy about either the army of Israel being scattered, or the or not the army, but Israel. Um, being scattered on the mountains which we'll be referring to the army but uh, anyway they, um, a- so Ahab died like Micaiah prophesied um, and then uh, this says that the dogs licked up his blood according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken now that's a disturbing thing to read right but that's something that had been said about Ahab as well earlier in chapter 21 and verse 19, this is when Ahab had, uh, or when Jezebel, Ahab's wife, had conspired to have Naboth killed because Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard and Naboth wouldn't give it to the king or wouldn't sell it to the king. And so Jezebel conspired against Naboth, had him killed, and the Lord tells Elijah to uh, say to Nahab, or excuse me, say to Ahab, have you killed and also taken possession? That is, taken possession of Naboth's vineyard. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. So in other words, this is is judgment for Ahab's uh, complicity in Naboth's death and in taking Naboth's vineyard. That he is in a sense, suffering the way that Naboth suffered. And then verse 39 says, Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. This is a reminder that we're not being told everything. These are selective accounts of the various kings reigns we can't these books can't possibly tell us everything that these kings did and so this is a way of saying you know there are other things that happened in his reign other things that he did that you could go and find out about at other places but this is the end of Ahab's story here and then verse 41 tells us more about Jehoshaphat it says "Uh, Jehoshaphat the son of Asa began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab king of Israel Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in all the way of Asa his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. So let's pause there and remember one of the things that the book of 1 Kings does, and we haven't seen this in a while because we've been focused on Ahab's reign for some time, but when a new king is mentioned, Often we are told whose pattern this king is following. Is he following the pattern of Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, who uh, had the two golden calves made and lured Israel into idolatry? Uh, Or is he following in the path of King David, who was a godly man, though he sinned and sinned grievously. He was a man who feared the Lord. Uh, He was a man who repented when he sinned. Uh, whose pattern is he following and so here we're told that Jehoshaphat is following in the footsteps of his father Asa and that's a good thing because Asa was one of the good kings in fact back in chapter 15 this is what we're told about Asa it says in the 20th year of Jeroboam king of Israel Asa began to reign over Judah and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem his mother's name was Ma'akah, the daughter of Abishalom and asa did what was right in the eyes of the lord as david his father had done so asa was like david he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made he also removed maaka his mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for asherah and asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook kidron But the high places were not taken away nevertheless the heart of asa was wholly true to the lord all his days so asa was faithful to god asa was opposed to idolatry and asa was a good king and jehoshaphat was like his father asa right verse 43 again says he walked in all the ways of asa his father he did not turn aside from it doing what was right In the sight of the Lord. So Asa and Jehoshaphat both did what was right in God's eyes. Um, It even says in verse 46 that he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of Asa, his father. We're told that Asa had put those away, so these must be the ones who had somehow escaped that purge and had survived. Asa, or excuse me, Jehoshaphat uh, puts them away or exterminates them. and then verse uh, 47 says, There was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Let my ships go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So Jehoshaphat, again, is a good king, but his reign also comes to an end. And then First King ends with this little paragraph about Ahaziah, who's the son of King Ahab. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So just as Jehoshaphat walked in the footsteps of his father Asa, and that was a good thing, so Ahaziah follows in the footsteps of his father Ahab, and that's a bad thing. In fact, we're told not only that he followed the ways of his father Ahab, but also that he followed in the way of his mother, which was Jezebel, who was a wicked idolatrous, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was infamous for his idolatry as well. And then it says in verse 53 that he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord The God of Israel so Ahaziah himself is an idolater and a couple things we can draw from this one the nation of Israel is still headed for exile all the way back during the reign of Jeroboam we're told in chapter 14 verses 15 and 16 it says the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water And root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers, and scatter them beyond the Euphrates, because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. So that prophecy, which, I'm sorry, may not have been made during the reign of Jeroboam. I can't remember for sure. It might have been a king or two after him, but it's tied to Jeroboam's sin. Right to Jeroboam's initial idolatry that he led uh, Israel into, when he made the two golden calves to keep people from going to Jerusalem to worship, um, he uh, God is going to send Israel into exile. He's gonna, it says, um, you know, root them out of the land, uh, and that is a consequence of their breaking covenant with God, of their committing idolatry, and being unfaithful to the Lord. And that trajectory for Israel has not changed. So if you were to continue reading on your own into Second Kings, you will read uh, the story of Israel's exile. And then Judah's exile will come later as well. But Ahaziah uh, is king of Israel. And so talking about Israel's exile... The other thing I want to point out is that the contrast between these two kings and these two patterns, right? Asa, David, Jehoshaphat on the one hand, and Jeroboam, Ahab, and Ahaziah on the other hand, remind us that there are basically two ways. This is consistent throughout the Bible. You uh, see this, for example, in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There are two options. You can walk in the counsel of the wicked, or you can delight in the law of the Lord. You see this in Jesus' preaching as well right there's the person who heard jesus's teaching but didn't put it into practice and built their house on sand and there's the person who heard jesus's teaching and did put it into practice who built his house on the rock right? we have two options we can either go the lord's way trust the lord's word do as the lord says or we can go our own way and worship our own gods and do our own thing And only if we trust the Lord and walk in His way, will we experience God's blessing. And if we instead reject the Lord, go our own way, do our own thing, worship our own gods of our own making, then we will experience God's judgment. As a reminder, in the patterns of the kings, of 1 Kings, that there are only two options. There's no third way, there's no middle ground. We either trust the Lord and follow him through his word, or we don't. We either trust Jesus and confess that he's Lord and uh, follow him, or we go our own way. Those are our two options. And the point of not only 1 Kings, but of the whole Bible is to point us to Jesus and to exhort us to trust Jesus and then to follow him as well now i said that at the end i'd have a little bit more to say uh about our study in first kings Coming to a conclusion. First of all, if you're looking forward to continuing on into Second Kings, that's what I anticipated us doing, but um, that's not what we're going to do. And so if you're, um, if you are disappointed that we're not moving into Second Kings, I apologize for that. It's just not the way it's worked out for now. Um, maybe we will get to do that in the future. That would be a great thing. Uh, we'll see, but I, I can't Promise that, so we'll just have to see what happens. The other thing I want to say is is just thank you. We started this study of First Kings in April of 2020, and if memory serves correctly, I had already been planning on beginning to teach through First Kings when um, everything shut down, and we started having to do everything online, and this study in particular has continued online Uh, on video all year Uh, this has never been an in-person study and when I first started this study um, teaching on video and through audio uh, I wondered if maybe this was not the best course because a book like first Kings you have to teach in big chunks and that sometimes makes for long studies and and therefore long videos and I didn't know if people would um, want to watch something for that long um, and so but you guys have watched and listened you've hung in there um, you've continued to, to stick with this study and you have followed along and Um, I just want to say thank you to all of you who've watched, all of you who've listened, all of you who have um, been encouraging throughout the year. It's been almost an entire year since we started this study. Uh, I think somewhere around 44 um, studies in the book of 1 Kings. And so I just want to let you know how grateful I am that you were there uh, watching and listening all throughout this year. You have been a blessing to me. I hope this study has been a blessing to you. And... uh, To God be all the glory. Amen.